friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're here in Treaty 6 territory in our usual dimly lit basement, and today we've got a couple of great interviews lined up. And I'd like to introduce producer Jim to set up what we're on about today. Jim, who are we talking to? What are we talking about? Hey folks, uh, we've got a real good one for you this week. We're going to pull back the curtain and give you a look at what real union organizing is like. A lot of folks wonder why left politics focuses on unions so much. Well, it's not because working is like inherently morally good. In fact, in my opinion, uh, working is bad and you should do as little of it as possible. The thing about being a worker is that work is valuable. Being able to take your work away to disrupt big projects, that's real, actual power. And if you get enough workers together in a union, that's power that can challenge the rich, big corporations, and the cronies that they've crammed into government. We need that power. Labor is a big part of organizing on the left because it has to be. So if you're listening today, I hope you enjoy this chance to learn more about what our union comrades are up to. Our first interview is with Bruce Fafard. He got his start driving truck with Coca-Cola and moved up to being involved in his union local and the negotiation committee. Eventually, he became local president and even president of the Edmonton and District Labor Council. Now he's an organizer with Unifor, and he was just recently part of a successful campaign to organize the Sheridan Suites Eau Claire. And he rules. Bruce Fafard, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And Bruce, you are an organizer with Unifor? Yep. Out here in Alberta, you are the only organizer out here in Alberta? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, for uniform. And the reason why you're here and the reason why we want to chat is because you did just recently get a successful certification at the Sheridan Suites Calgary Eau Claire. You now 170 new members of Unifor. They've uh, you know that they're going to work on they're working on a contract right now. We're going to get into that and and what happened there, how that worked. But first of all, I want to I know a little bit more about you. Like I know I ran into you when you were president of the Edmonton District Labor Council, but you have you know you have working class background, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, well, my background, uh, my working career, I guess I started back in 98 with, uh, Coca-Cola and through, uh, that's a unionized facility as well. And now with Unifor. So that's where I sort of got my start at. And back in probably about 2006, when I really started to get active, uh, with things like, uh, collective bargaining, uh, representation, and actually started a few years before that. And, uh, just, just started working towards, uh, you know, being involved a bit more and more. And so that's where I sort of got my starts uh, within Unifor, uh, being a local president and then, uh, you know, slowly just getting more and more involved. And your dad uh, drove a truck for Coca-Cola too, like you come from a union family, right? Well, my dad, he actually, he was in the sales. Okay. He, he was track. part of it. He was actually always part of management and not necessarily the, uh, on the union side, but, uh, you know, he worked there for over uh, 30, 39 years. So generational worker at Coca-Cola myself and most of my family worked there at one point in time because, well, uh, it was a good job. It, and it's, it still is a good job, you know, with a union contract there, it uh, really helps, uh, helps workers out there. So that's where I got my start. And so you end up, you know, started driving a truck at the Coca-Cola plant. You move up within, you get interested in the union because of presumably some type of contract negotiation. You know, you start getting involved in union politics. You become the president of the local. You get elected to become Edmonton District Labor Council president. Now you are... Now you're uh, an organizer with Unifor. You're out there organizing new workforces. Like that's, um, 
that's not like a standard journey for workers. You're definitely like a trade unionist, like you are a labor activist, right? Absolutely. Uh, and it comes down to, uh, you know, fair treatment and uh, workers' rights. And yeah, so most of my working career, even before that, I've always been a person that's outspoken at the workplace, you know, regardless of having a union or not, but uh, having the union there, you have a voice that actually is heard. So that's that's what really was the compelling part for uh, for me to be involved, is actually having that say uh, in your work in, in your workplace and not just a say in it going nowhere having a say with a union makes so much different so much of a difference so if the boss is breathing down your neck you actually have some type of recourse as opposed to just like hoping it changes right exactly exactly and you can address it and have it responded to properly so which is uh the the comforting part okay so uh, one of the things that we should talk about and, and it is really how unions and the working class build power is by organizing new workplaces, right? And signing up new members and representing these members when it comes to contracts and essentially growing the membership. And like I said, you just recently got the certification at the Sheridan Suites in Eau Claire in Calgary. This is the big fancy hotel next to the Eau Claire market down in Calgary. If you're not familiar with it, it's got uh, beautiful lights. It's got a fancy bar. And I mean, you probably spent a bit of time there, I imagine. Absolutely. It has, it has a wonderful restaurant, it has uh, a lounge or uh, Finn McCool's uh, a bar in there. Uh, amazing, you yeah, know, it's a, it's amazing property, uh, beautifully located right in front of the, like you said, in the Eau Claire uh, district, and uh, basically a real anchor tenant for that area. And this brings us up to a grand total of three and a half unionized hotels in Calgary. We've got Fairmont Palliser, which is the same owner as the Sheridan Suites. Yep. And, we've, yep. we've got the uh, Hilton Garden Inn, which got that a very interesting remedial certification when they fired someone for trying to organize. And then the Ramada on Stephen Avenue was like the bar staff or the restaurant staff or unionized or something, right? Yeah, a small group within that hotel is organized. But uh, under Unifor, yeah, we have uh, the Fairmont Palliser and now the uh, Sheraton. Sweet. And like, I mean, I mean, I, not that this is the point of the podcast, but like, man, you go to other cities and there is like, like the the hotels are like actually all unionized or the majority of them are unionized and in Alberta that is not the case yeah it, it's uh slim pickings uh, in total role if you take a look at the whole industry it, it is very slim pickings uh we do have you know a few out in the resort areas of Banff and Jasper uh although you're, you're talking about like one here one there like the Jasper Park Lodge uh parts of Chateau Lake Louise and even the Banff Springs Hotel has some has a small unionized workforce, but like inside of the the major the major centers, uh, there's slim pickings, and like in places like Red Deer, very there's none. But hotels make a lot of sense when it comes to unionization, right? You've got a lot of workers under one roof. You know, you've got um, people who who are are at the mercy of management, right? Especially when it comes to like housekeeping or some of those other jobs where. You know, English might not be their first language or what have you. These people are like kind of ripe to be taken advantage of when it comes to management. And, and you know, I know that there's there's tons of inspiring stories of, you know, these folks who came up through hotel organizing and that, that organizing hotels is like a doable in the modern context. It's not like you're Absolutely. trying to organize Uber or something, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, though, though, though there are efforts underway to try and organize those folks too, but but... But like the organizing hotels just like makes sense. And then, so walk me through it. So you get a phone call. What 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 happens? You get a phone call from someone who works at a Sheridan Suites Hotel. What what does that phone call 
about? Why are they calling you? And then what, what's, the, what's the first step? How do you go from there? Well, that is actually the first step. When people say, uh, when they call me and start talking about unionization, they ask, I always ask, what is the first step? And I tell them, you have just made the first step. Making that contact with uh, any union, that's the first step. And typically for, like, for myself, uh, have a quick conversation, just trying to find out, oh, who are you? What's going on? The uh, working conditions, just have a brief conversation. And then typically meet face-to-face with, uh, with that person and trying to have a few other uh, people involved with uh, organizing campaigns. Uh, campaigns, the, the best campaigns that, uh, that are successful come from inside organizing and when I say inside organizing, I mean the workers on the inside banding together and organizing with the obviously the assistance of uh, different unions or, or a person like myself, uh, guiding them through the process and to sign cards. So, but, so, so why do they call you? What's, what's, the, what's the reason for them reaching out to you? They're like, things are getting so bad that I need to call up Bruce Fafard. You know, they don't know your name, but they need, I need to call up a union and get some help here. What's the like, reason? What were the conditions at the Sheridan Suite so clear that they were reaching out to you? Typically, like the reasons why people make that first phone call, and uh, specifically for the Sheraton, it was uh, respect. That is usually one or two on the list of reasons why. Uh, I, and like, firstly, yeah, let's say respect, and second, working conditions. Uh, those are, they're tied together so so much is that uh, you know the great working conditions, but if you're not respected in the workplace, it's it's very difficult to work there or your working conditions. So uh, specifically for the Sheraton, it was uh, uh, the hotel. Well, just a brief history. The hotel was opened in '99, uh, and so it's a 20-year anniversary just this past February for the Sheraton. And part of the organizing drive, we had uh, people who were hired at the start of the opening of the hotel, some original employees who, who've seen over the years the, the change. And more recently, just the degradation of the, uh, the workplace as in working conditions and, 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 and treatment. Those are the two biggest things in uh, why people call is the working conditions and the treatment that they're that they're that they're receiving. So when you say working conditions you're talking about, you know, understaffing or people being asked to do more on less time or people being asked to work over their breaks like is that the type of stuff that you're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, working through breaks there that was very common that uh, they, they they felt the workers were doing. Uh, working through their breaks, working after they've punched out. Believe it or not, yeah, working for free basically. Wage, wage theft. Uh, wage theft. It, it, yeah, it absolutely is wage theft. Uh, and uh, that was that was an issue for, for a bunch of the workers, mainly in the housekeeping departments, uh, where people were swiping out, going back upstairs and finishing off their work for the day. And they felt powerless to, to stop that. They really felt powerless to stop that. And it didn't stop until the union drive started. Mm-hmm. As soon as the hotel found out about the union drive, they started doing a little more investigation as into... Why is this happening? Why are people signing union cards? And the and it's, it's a very typical reaction of, of uh, employers to do is start you know asking the questions, you know what's going on, what's happening. And as as they found out, so yeah, they had people working off the clock to get the job done, which is obviously, uh, like you said, it's wage theft. It's t- it's it's put taking putting their hands inside of a worker's pocket and just taking money out basically. Okay, so walk me through a bit more through the hotel itself. You're talking about 170 workers, but what's the breakdown between you know restaurant staff versus housekeeping versus um, you know uh, the people at the front desk? 
Actually, the number is actually closer to 200. Okay. Yeah, we finally got the, the final numbers and is yeah, just around 200. Uh, the majority of the staff, I'd say a quarter of them, work in the housekeeping department. That is typically your biggest department inside of a hotel, only followed by the uh, banquets. Uh, those are the two largest. And then you have your kitchen and uh, food and beverage staff. And then you'll have uh, the, the numbers. If you're just looking at like straight numbers, and you'll have like your your office admin or your front your front desk sort of uh, uh, service. Okay, and we're, and we're and when you're talking about housekeepers and the banquet and serving staff, we're talking about women. We're talking about young people. We're talking about people of color for the most part. For the most part, like uh, for the Sheraton, yeah, it's all workers of color within the uh, housekeeping department, definitely, and pr- predominantly in the banquets as well. I would say that's that is the majority, and a lot of them are uh, first Canadians, new Canadians, and uh, th- that's uh, the jobs that they that they are able to uh, to get at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know you've got the tip, you've started to have this conversation with people. Maybe you've drawn in a few, uh, you know, handful of other people who are interested in the drive. Like, what comes next? What's the next step in that process? Well, after after you have that first uh, initial conversation. Typically, I so myself, I, I, I go out into the field and meet with them directly. Uh, typically, is that one person or try to meet a group of people? Because we try to form like inside group committees, try to have that support basis on the inside. Within those like separate job descriptions, right? Exactly. Once some, you try to get someone from every department if possible. Sometimes it's not, but uh, there's always ways of... Uh, overcoming obstacles like that and so you're starting to have these meetings i mean ultimately at some part at some part of the process uh you're getting people to sign cards right and and you're you're you've built a list of people who you think might support you and you start approaching them and from what i understand right yeah so it's that you can say you can put in that in those terms uh you try to get uh, a list of names try to get as many as people uh, on a list so you know what your what your numbers are because with the uh, certification process, you have to know your percentages uh, when filing an application and then try to project out. Obviously, now with the uh, change of labor laws, uh, the vote, which is very important. And some of the strategies that you use, very much, very same strategies used on a political campaign, especially when it comes to, you know, get out the GOTV and the, on that aspect. But you have to have key people inside. And that's that's what makes a drive uh could be you know successful or not is those inside people and the support that you give them and explaining like the full process so yeah you meet with a bunch of with a group of people and try to have all all areas covered as in try to have someone who would be able to reach out to the full banquet department if it's big you get a couple people doing it if there's only one person in the front desk you get that person you know to reach out to those workers and you try to systematically go through every department of the of the employer to try to find those people exactly who would and, and document and record who you've spoken to and all those, all those type of things, just like almost like a, like a, like you said, a political campaign. So you're identifying and cultivating leaders who are working at this place and then you're training them, you're giving them the tools to go out and talk to their own coworkers about why they should sign a card. And then you're getting as many people as you can to sign cards, right? Absolutely. That, and that's the process. It's one of our, our biggest tasks is uh, information and trying to get the right information out there, the correct information and not any information that, uh, 
is uh, dubious and you know try to uh, dispel myths that uh, may be put out there because you always have you always have a re uh, reaction from the employer if they find out about a, a union drive and typically in most drives employers do find out about it uh, because people talk and people are excited about it uh, or nervous and a little bit of everything so you have to plan out for those uh, uh, eventualities as well. Well, that's the natural next question is what did this employer do to fight this union drive? Well, what type of misinformation did they put out there? Some of the mis misinformation, they, they put out, they try to leave as many open-ended questions or oh, they put things out there. Would you rather have the uh, your own money in your pocket or have the union take your money and, and the amount of money? Uh, overall, my, my initial reaction to a lot of what the uh, Sheraton, uh, I guess the, the management or the ownership uh, put forward, uh, it was a bit light. And it wasn't as uh, ferocious as I thought it could be because Invest, they, they're very familiar with unions. Uh, Invest Hotels owns Sheraton Suites Eau Claire. They also own the, the Palliser Hotel, which is a unionized facility, and many other properties that are unionized. So they are familiar with the process. Uh, well, it sounds like you should unionize more of their hotels, Bruce. Well, there's opportunities, and all I need is that one phone call. Just make, give me that one phone call, and then we can take it from there. But, uh, but they didn't rat fuck you to all to death is what you're saying. They weren't. No, no. And I was expecting a, a bit more of a pushback, but it wasn't there. And there, through inside information, uh, through some of the workers who uh, have good relationships with, with some of the management there, uh, at no point did, the, did they, in my view, knew how far we had progressed in such a short period of time. Because from day one of assigning a card to the certification, it was just under three months. Mm -hmm. So it was fast. It uh, Campaigns can move fast. They can move slow. Although this one moved at a very good pace. We had committed people, and they were ready to sign cards, and the thirst was there. And it was a big success, right? Like, what was what were the final counts as far as people who signed a card, people who voted yes in the in the uh, certification? the The final vote came out uh, about 150 people voted, and we got two thirds of that. Nice. And you so only you only needed 50 plus one to get a certification. Exactly. Exactly. So now uh, the fine folks, the fine workers at Sheridan Suites Eau Claire in Calgary are certified as a union. Yep. Um, they've gone through the process. They've signed the cards. They've had the election. Now, Unifor is representing them officially, according to labor law and according to the Labor Relations Board. But now comes an important next step, right? Negotiations. Uh, starting off, to try to get that first collective agreement. So so at the moment, yeah, we're in just the process of uh, electing a bargain committee. Because within Unifor, our model is uh, the workers, they do, they're the ones uh, that matter. They're the ones that will be sitting at the table with the help of a national rep. And the... Anything that's proposed it comes directly from them. So we're busy going through, you know, proposal, have some proposal meetings, get some meetings just to uh, get the ideas from the workers. You know, we're doing bargaining surveys and and as well election of uh, the, the bargaining committee. So both. And and this is like the real, like the, this is where employers might go, oh, whatever, the union is going to unionize it. But this is where really recalcitrant employers can kind of like rag the puck and fuck around with workers is in this kind of like first contract phase, right? It's, yeah, it, 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 it's, an, it's a time where uh, you don't have a, a, a lot of, uh, I guess, rights to, imp to f make or force the employer to do certain things because you don't have a contract. There's nothing in writing. So there's a, it's a bit of a, 
period, a, a limbo. You know, you're in limbo at this moment, and it's a, it's it's a bit of a tough time for workers actually right now because there's a lot of unknowns of what's going to be happening and what's been going on. Uh, you try to relay that as much as possible, but it, it, it is a trying time, although it's a it's a encouraging time because once the workers start, uh, you know, putting everything forward and actually having people that they know sitting at the bargaining table advocating on their behalf, that's a very powerful thing when they know that, yes, my voice is, ma- is, is counting and I can say this directly to my employer. So you were next to these workers. You were in the middle of this drive. You were talking with them a lot. You know, what do you think in the context of this you know, negotiation for the first contract? What do you think is going to come up that is going to be that is going to be a part of the negotiation? How is Unifor going to make their lives better? How is how is this uh, you know collective bargaining process going to improve the lot of these workers? How are they going to be treated with more dignity? When you get that collective agreement, you have rules, you have uh, language inside of an agreement that obligates the employer to respond. And further that, the response that you do get, if you don't agree with it, you can challenge it even further. But I think the biggest thing is making, uh, having that collective agreement is holding the employer responsible to the terms and conditions. And I think that's, that's the biggest key to it is the ability and have the backing of a union to enforce your rights. Because you can have all the rights in the world if you're not going to enforce them. It doesn't matter because right now you have like most like workers have a lot of rights under the employment standards code, but it's being able to enforce those rights. And that's what the, that's what having a union does is actually enables you to uh, enforce your rights that you do have either it's in a collective agreement or just uh, within part of the employment standards or any type of labor law. Right now, you you it's so difficult for an individual to try to challenge that. Uh, Within a collective agreement, when a unionized workforce, you have that ability, you have the opportunity to have your uh, grievances yeah, settled. Have your answers, say in the workplace. Have your right. say in the workplace. And then it goes right, right down to negotiations, being able to put things into a collective agreement that the workers want and to be able to be heard in that sort of, and having that collective voice. That's, that's the main key is having that collective voice with the backing of the union. I mean, this is why you get a union, right? Beyond the, you know, we can talk about the weekend or the eight-hour day or child labor. I mean, I think those battles are kind of like out of the brains of most people these days. And and union density in Alberta is not great, right? But when you're talking about why a union or how a union can improve your life and how it can improve the conditions of your workplace, it's not necessarily the wages, as you were saying, right? Like, it's wages are important, Um but fundamentally, it allows people a democratic say in how work actually happens, right? And that seems to be one of the most important things. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as workplaces change and not necessarily, because, uh, yeah, the Sheraton is actually a great example. Hotels open in 99. We have people who've worked there from, from the start. And over the years, like I said, they've they, they seen degradation in their, in their working conditions. Either it's systematic from like direct from the owners and employers or more often than not, it's from the supervisors or from the management, the, the, the frontline managers is where really uh, things can go wrong. Uh, if you're there for 20, you've been working in place for 20 years and you get a manager in or a supervisor that uh, is not up to snuff, you know, treats people like, you know, dirt and that sort of thing. That's a tough thing to deal with. And without a union, 
you are stuck. It's boss's fiat, right? Yeah, exactly. If you're there, if you're there for 20 years, if you put 20 years in your life in this place and some jackass comes along and, you know, abruptly changes all of everything that's going on and not necessarily in a way of, uh, we're doing this for the company or the good, uh, the good of the company or anything like that. It's more of, uh, some management personal preferences, you know, uh, personality clashes. And so the employees have been there like for 20 years and all of a sudden they bring in someone like that. It's a tough place to work at. And why should this employee have to all of a sudden, well, if you don't like the job change somewhere else, that's not the answer Well, like, for a 20 year employee. Exactly. Right. Well, like we were talking about, uh, with post media, which is that like, they're changing everything around. There's a drastic internal shakeup at post media. Now there's one guy who's going to be responsible for all the coverage, all the political news coverage across Canada with a, with a very clear mandate for management that it has to be not just conservative, but more conservative. And, you know, explicitly mentioned in that Canada land article that it kind of does the whole expose on this is that in the context of like Vancouver, uh, the Vancouver sun and province, those are unionized workplaces and that Kevin Levin might just can't just walk in there and tell those people how to do their jobs because there's a contract in place that says, well, no, actually like this is, this is the, this is the division of labor here. Absolutely. You have the terms and conditions of employment. It's a contract. And so as someone like that wouldn't be able to just do unilaterally come in and same with any, any other work, uh, unionized workplaces. So that's why it's important to have those conditions in, uh, in writing. So, I mean, I think finally here, uh, the question is how do we unionize more hotels in Alberta and how do you, how do you get more tips and how do, you know, workers find out about how a union can improve, you know, their, their lives and their workplace? It's a great question. <laughs> great question. <laughs> easy answer. Uh, I don't have an easy answer to that. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, well here, if you, thing, if you one, know one someone success breeds success too, mm-hmm. uh, a stone's throw away from the Sheraton is the Weston Hotel, and they're aware of it. Workers from there are aware that the Sheraton Suites has unionized. Will something come over that? Quite possibly, but uh, we'll wait and see if it does. But yeah, it's just talking to people. It's making it's it's convincing people just to make that first phone call because there's so many un- unanswered questions that people have about what it means or how do you do it or how things will eventually uh, turn out. That uh, it's just that first question. Make that call, make that phone call, and see where it goes. All right, folks, you heard it here. If if you uh, need to democratize your workplace, make your life better, give Unifor and Bruce Fafford a call. All right, well, thanks so much for coming in, Bruce. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with us. Uh, thanks so much to Bruce for doing that interview. We really appreciate it. Our next interview is with Saba Masagazi. She's a union organizer with United Food and Commercial Workers 401. She was also just recently part of a successful certification campaign of security guards at the Calgary Airport. And also a very exciting raid of clack. To learn uh, what that actually means, let's cut to our chat with this amazing union organizer. Saba Masagazi, welcome to the Progress Report. Uh, perfect timing for me. You got a mouthful of water, but... Um, by way of introduction, Sava, uh, where do you work and what do you do there? I work for UFCW Local 401, United Food and Commercial Workers. Um, it's a union, a retail union. Uh, I think we're the largest in the province now. Largest uh, private sector union. Yeah, the largest private sector with 32,000 members in Alberta. And I am... I think technically a senior labor relations officer, but for real, I'm an organizer. 
So you are a, a union organizer in the flesh. Yes. Here, yes. Here in the Progress Alberta. Yeah. Dimly lit basement recording studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're setting up this episode as kind of like a labor for noobs primer. Mm-hmm. You know, people who know that like organized labor is good, you know, don't cross picket lines, that kind of thing. Right. But don't necessarily know the details of like how and why labor's organize or build power and find new members. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my first question to you is like, what do you think like regular folks need to know about unions? Uh, um, that's a very big question. Um, I think the main thing to remember is it, it's about uh, empowerment and, and creating a more balanced power dynamic in the workplace when you're an individual person trying to approach your employer um especially if it's a big one with lots of money is really scary um and to you know you not everybody knows the law and doesn't know their rights and so doesn't know when their employer may be breaking them so i think uh, I, I don't know. Labor is good. Labor is good, folks. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here first. Unions well, are good. Organized. So yeah. uh, I'm a bit more curious about UFCW 401. Too. Mm-hmm. You say it's the biggest private sector union in Alberta, mm-hmm. 32,000 members. What are, what are the biggest contracts? What are the biggest like chunk of members? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Well, we're primarily and traditionally retail, so Superstore, Safeway, um, that kind of thing in the camps and the oil field sector were housekeeping and kitchen staff. Um, we have a couple hotels, a couple restaurants. Um, traditionally we're dealing with people who are the lowest on the pay scale. Um, and, um, so that means we're, you know, we got to be big with, uh, with uh, dignity and respect and having language that means a little bit more than just money. Um, Although we still try to fight for that money too, um, yeah, that's that's. I think those are the big the big players. We we try to do whatever it is that is the right thing to do. So if if there is somebody who comes along who um, wants to organize their workplace for a specifically egregious reason, you know, we're usually quick to jump on those. So yeah, anything that's not wouldn't fall into AUP and QP essentially anything that's like not government or healthcare or, or even though we do have a few um, uh, home care units as well. Um, we, we're a bit diverse in that way, but um, yeah, biggest players I would say are probably super short and safe way that people know the most. So you talked a bit about people reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, someone reached out to you recently mm-hmm. from Calgary Airport, mm-hmm. right? Can you tell us about that recent organizing drive, mm-hmm. like who it was and how it worked and all mm-hmm. that stuff? Yeah, I wasn't there for the initial call, but essentially the security guards at the Calgary International Airport uh, wanted representation. Beyond that, they sort of you know, wanted to know what their places, what their rights were, if it was okay, the things that were happening to them, um, the way their bosses were speaking to them, that sort of thing. Um, and it and, sort and of... what was happening? What, what were the reasons that mm, caused the call? Yeah, it's, you know, and it's honestly, it's, it has a lot to do with most of our calls. Besides, you know, benefits is usually a, a big thing. Um, dignity and respect issues. So just basically having someone to call, somewhere to go to, 
to sort of mitigate these quote unquote open door, open door um, managers. Um, Cause that, that stuff can be very scary, especially if you're a newcomer or if um, you've simply just, you know, haven't had to deal with the law because you had great bosses in the past, you know? So um, yeah, that's usually how it starts. It was a hot call. Then, then we try to investigate and see if, is this an individual person's problem or is this a workplace problem? Um, and, you know, we found it was the latter. It was a workplace issue and people um, were willing and they really stuck it out because it was a very long process, but um, you know, they made their choice. So, and, and you're the organizer here, but mm -hmm. it's, it's really the like workers who are doing mm -hmm. a lot of the actual organizing. Of course. Right? Yes. I mean, we rely a lot on, on the people on the inside, especially in this circumstance. I mean, and a lot of the times, you know, I've organized other security guards in the past. There are areas I can't go to i can't access i can't reach so there Cal are people like airport no. yeah so there are people i physically cannot go to their workplace and just you know hey anybody want to sign a union card that's not how those kinds of things work it really takes um a lot of initiative from the people on the inside and uh really wanting it because um you know i'm going to rely on them to sort of push their coworkers along and, and get their coworkers on side you know because if they're not we're not here to sell anything they either want to be a part of the union or they don't um so, so yeah. how, many, how many folks are we talking about at this particular uh event? about 130 something around there 130. okay and so yeah. you know you've got this tip you've got this hot call as you mm. call it and you're you've got people organizing in the workplace mm -hmm. signing union cards mm. not signing union cards in the workplace but yes of course yes, never. <laughs> um but but I'm curious about what the this particular employer did to fight the process, right? I right. imagine they were like, yay, a union has shown right. up and started organizing. Like, right. like, what were the tactics that they used? Right. I, I mean, it's the, the typical, um, typical anti-union rhetoric. Um, most big, larger companies, and ASB is a larger company, they're based out of Ontario, um, have their brief, like, have their lawyer draw up exactly what it is the line that they can walk and what they can say because they're allowed to have their opinion um they're just not allowed to threaten intimidate promise Lie? uh yeah. mm. you know you it depends on you know can you prove can you prove it's a lie yeah. um there's a lot of onus on the union to sort of prove these things are happening um, even though they're done behind closed doors. Um, so to have a manager pull you aside and say, hey, I need to talk to you. Um, it's really, really scary. Um, it's very frightening and you've got to have people who are strong and already ready to go. And, you know, we talked about it before. Be prepared. They're going to cry. They're going to promise. They're going to threaten. They're going to do whatever it is that, they th that they think it's going to work in a way that is discreet enough that um, hopefully they don't get in trouble for it. So, and this process has a name, right? Of like uh, inoculation of the people who mm -hmm. are going to be facing. So. Yeah, yeah. We try to inoculate everybody and just prepare them. Um, I, you know, I worked on this really really tiny unit recently, and that was something that really came up. Was hey, 
there are so few of you. I know this is going to create like a huge chilling effect. Please be ready. Be ready. They're going, this is a family business. They're going to like, they're going to love bomb you or they are going to like, you know, I've been in places where the manager cries and I was like, why don't you, why didn't you give us a chance and not, and bring these issues to us? We have an open door policy. Um, so, you know, it's really important to prepare people before because you're used to seeing your boss in a certain light when you see them in a more intimate way like that. It sometimes um, it has a really great effect. Mm-hmm. So, all right. And this this um, security guard certification mm-hmm. is, is different than most certifications mm-hmm. that UFCW 401 does. because yeah. It was at an airport. It was a federal certification. Yes. So what's, what's the difference there? Um, a lot. So provincially we're used to doing provincial certs we're used to doing you know certificates that are if they're not um for the city then they're for the province we don't usually cross out of the province and when you cross the province lines you go into federal but also if you're in you know communications or if you're in an airport so nobody's really done a federal cert since the 90s so we were kind of it was a learning experience for sure for me because I've never dealt with the Canadian Industrial Labor Relations Board um so it was very interesting but essentially the the big difference right now is that in in Alberta we do not have car check um and federally we do so that's mainly in organizing is the biggest difference and what is car check um it basically means um so in Alberta right now, what the law is, is you sign petitions. So you get the at least 40% of the workforce to sign petitions saying that you want a vote to t- say whether or not you want a union. Um, the issue with that is essentially you're voting twice. So first you say, no, I want a union. And then the labor board orders a vote for maybe 10 days later could be longer i've been on that have been longer um and then in that between time you know who knows who gets raises and who gets promotions and who gets fired and who gets um all of a sudden hours cut and and all of a sudden closed exactly so you have a period of time for the employer to play all sorts of games um which uh you know, usually means there's a huge drop off in our support because, you know, at the end of the day, if we lose the, you know, the campaign, I'm not paying their rent. I'm not buying the groceries for their kids. So if they are terminated, yes, we can deal with it. And yes, we can get, you know, something for them if it was deemed illegal, but it's going to be nine months from now, Mm -hmm. a year from now, whenever the board can order it. Right. So, yeah. So this was a card check certification. Yes. So you were, you were. So essentially, when you do card check, you buy a union card. So the board sees that's the buy-in, like that's them saying they really want it. Um, you buy a union card, and once you get enough people to buy union cards, the place becomes automatically certified if the board deems um, you've met what uh, the the sorry the threshold. Which is what, 50% plus It's 50% plus one federally. And provincially, it was, until very recently, 65%. Well, and I think that brings up another question, which is like, car check, whether you know about car check or not, you kind of have to be in the labor weeds. Mm -hmm. But but 
governments, specifically conservative governments mm -hmm. all across Canada, one of the very first things they do when they win elections mm -hmm. is they get rid of car check. Of course. We saw it in BC with the BC Liberals in the early 2000s. We saw it in Manitoba just recently when Pallister won, what was it, like three years ago? Mm -hmm. We saw it, uh, I think Wynne brought in some form of, uh, she brought in like a kind of a really crappy variety, different type of car check, but there were still some types of car check in Ontario. Once Doug Ford came in, immediately all gone, I think except for construction. And then yes, the Alberta NDP brought in car check. Mm -hmm. And Jason Kenney wins Bill, what is Bill 2? <laughs> Bill 2, right after getting rid of the carbon tax? Bye-bye car check. Bye-bye car check. And, and like car check is essentially how all union organizing used to work until like the 80s, right? And there was like conservative governments were like, oh, our, our buddies in the like corporate sector are telling us <laughs> throw up this roadblock and mm -hmm. uh, make it make it a little harder uh, for them to organize. And, and everyone kind of has complied. And there's only a card check in a handful of provinces these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. um, like from your perspective, do you like organizing via card check or would you would you or do you like the two step process? Like mm -hmm. for, as an on the ground person doing this kind of work, mm -hmm. like, like what's your take on it? I think as like me, myself, I'm obviously card check, card check, card check, but I know other locals in other circumstances where they might not necessarily want that just because the, the form of momentum or the sort of campaign that they're planning to run, um, maybe they would like petitions because that way you can sort of, um, gauge your, What's the word I'm looking for? Support. Your support. Gauge your support, your level of support um, differently, and especially if they plan on having a prolonged campaign. Um, for myself, I think card check is great um, for obvious reasons. But one, it's we're talking about 65% of the workforce, um, and we don't submit that 65%. Like we make sure we go above and that's the same thing with petitions. We're not going in with 40 or 45%. Um, we're going in, you know, with more than that because we want to have that cushion, especially for when the employer is able to have access to the employees and, and um, you know, create that chilling effect by trying to go after the key people involved or the key people in organizing the workforce. So, All right. Well, okay. So now we know kind of what car check is. Yes. Uh, I think it's worth also talking about the arguments used in the media and in like the discourse by kind of corporate bootlicker types to agitate against car check, right? Mm -hmm. And how they frame it. Because mm -hmm. if you're not a part of this, if you're not organizing workplaces or if you're not a part of the like anti-union industrial complex, which is quite large, mm -hmm. um, this might not mean anything to you. And so when you see a column from some random columnist in the newspaper or online talking about, you know, workplace democracy or whatever, uh, I think it's worth, I think it's worth talking about. So, so the, the article we have to discuss today is by our friend, a uh, friend of the show, Licia Corbella. This is a, in the Calgary Herald. The headline is Corbella, colon, workers celebrate return of private ballot vote for union certification. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, yes, workers everywhere rejoice at this extremely arcane bit of, of, of uh, labor law. Um, Celebrating in the streets. Yeah, there was, there was ticker tape parades. There was mm -hmm. Okay, so this is how she, she sets it off. A private ballot vote, not trickery. 
That's what will be required for Alberta workers to form a union once legislation under Bill 2, the Open for Business Act, becomes law in Alberta. <sighs> okay, and then she kind of gets into some details around uh, this like union certification that happened on a construction site mm-hmm. that actually, where they actually dared to use card check. Um, this is this is this is where we get into quotes from an anonymous worker um, who's not named. Yep. All right. This is good news for people like me. One of the tricked workers said Tuesday, "I heard that law that made me feel like a fool, like a powerless fool, is going to be changed, and I think that's good." Said the worker who asked to remain anonymous out of fear of union retaliation. <sighs> this. Say the last, the say the quote, the last quote, the last line. I heard that law that made me feel like a fool, like a powerless fool. Like a powerless be... fool. You that sounds it. like something that someone, a human would say, right? Yes. Made me feel like a fool, a powerless fool. You signed a union card. Yeah. Um, that sounds he, super real. And like was... from a person who said it and quoted it to a journalist. He says he was tricked into signing a union card back in late seven, 2017. Uh, caused him much stress and ultimately led to smaller paychecks somehow. Um, What happened was members of Local 1111 of the Construction and Specialized Workers Union, which has since been taken over by Local 92, approached workers with Icon West Construction at their work site in downtown Calgary. Some workers who had previously worked for the union were told that they owed as much as $250 in past dues, but that the union had a promotion, and if they paid $2, their debt to the union would be wiped out. So they paid their toonie and signed a card. Again, there's no, like, uh, proof of any of this. Yeah. I, I don't know if this went to the labor board. I mean, presumably. Uh, actually, no, actually not presumably. Um, <clears throat> she frames it as people being duped into... If it went to the, the labor board, I'm sure she would have said that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, one laborer told Postmedia at the time that their income dropped from $28 per hour to $25.37 as a result of the union certification. Da-da-da-da-da. They're complaining about union dues. Bill 2 will restore the mandatory secret ballot for all union certification votes and return a 90-day period for unions to provide evidence of employee support for certification. The laborer, another anonymous source, who also didn't want to be named, ended up having to find employment at another non-union shop just to make ends meet. Uh, Then they they quote the construction manager... (laughs) This is a great quote. Blake Liu, the construction manager for Icon, which has almost finished building the TELUS Sky Building at Center Street and 7th Avenue, said being forced to pay every worker the same wasn't good for anyone. Really, bro? Wasn't good for anyone? Wow. Uh, Yeah. I mean, mean, this is like kind of classic Lisa Corbella, just corporate bootlicking stuff. I mean, aside from licking Jason Kenney's boots, she's also kind of firmly... Uh, anti-union obviously like this is this yeah. was this was one in a series of articles she wrote on right. this issue um about this like union this this union sort of this construction union certification mm-hmm. people were duped mm-hmm. uh she then goes on to quote quote Dwayne Choman who is a labor and employment lawyer with Newman Thompson uh he goes on to say that Bill 2 is uh great um <laughs> uh, drastically unsurprising from a labor side lawyer anyways I think that's all it's great I can stomach but I, I think i think the the secret ballot is how they frame it right like when yeah. you look when you look at how um you know they try to frame mm-hmm. why car check is bad it's like yeah. oh the, well, the secret ballot is such an important foundational part of democracy right that it should it also needs to be a part of the union certification and right. it's like that's that's like a very compelling argument kind of like on the surface if you don't think about it too hard right but 
I mean, they're not talking about workplace democracy in the context of like respect to the workplace or wages. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the only way that like the only time that workplace democracy matters mm-hmm. to these people is in the context of a secret ballot. We really need a secret ballot, mm-hmm. and we and that card check is undemocratic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that is like one of the big ones I think that we mm-hmm. need to keep an eye out for. And I also, I mean, that that portion that lots of um, people who are proponents of getting rid of card check um, is the 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 proof the the fact that the union can't prove support, where you know regardless either way you're providing proof to the board you're just not providing proof to the employer we're not outing people who support the union that's what they want that's what they're referring to as a proof and evidence you send the petitions to the board the board has access to that you send the cards when you have card check to the board um and uh you know provide proof of payment and all that to the board um I think essentially when we're talking about the the ballot, we're talking about voting twice. Mm-hmm. And, and you're asking people to put their necks on the line against what? Against who? It could be huge, heavy, you know, these, these, these kinds of delays in between only serve one group of people and it's it's not the workforce exactly all right so i can car check is good Mm -hmm. um more car check please yes car check please yes car check yes car check okay the other big bit of news on the kind of ufcw front is that you and your colleagues are currently Mm -hmm. organizing a maple leaf chicken processing plant yes and you're not just organizing any old maple leaf chicken processing plant Mm -hmm. the one where the workers are currently represented by Clack. Mm-hmm. Saba, what is Clack? I think their acronym is Christian Labor Association of Canada mm-hmm. or something like that. That's right. Yeah. Um, they are a very old organization um, that pretends to be a union. I don't know how else to say it, but they have all the rights of a union. They without do all sorts of union-like things, like it, sign and negotiate contracts. Without doing the rest of the stuff, like having a bargaining committee that isn't comprised of management or having employees ratify their contract, so actually vote on their contract. And they're really big fans of doing the, hey, management, let's bargain, just me and you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you get kind of the manager gets whatever they want. It's It's a way for management to get what they want and make sure that their place won't actually unionize. They're a company union. Yes, right? yes. It's a, it's a company union. It's a way. It's a way, as you said, it's a way for management to um, essentially like <laughs> take up space, block an actual yes. union from showing up at their workplace. Yes, and organizing. Yeah, and and having Clack kind of show up and just sign a contract, mm-hmm. fill that space, mm-hmm. and then it's much harder for a union mm-hmm. to actually organize that workplace. Right. Yeah. Um, y- you know, Clack is. Um, mostly in the construction industry from mm-hmm. what i understand but they are extremely opportunistic and whenever an employer kind of approaches them yeah they'll they... take whatever they'll take oil camps they'll take whatever somebody in any company comes to them with a voluntary recognition they'll take it and what does that what does that mean voluntary recognition? it means basically they don't have to go through the process of like traditionally organizing like i was discussing earlier of getting petitions signed and submitting them the employer can like you know, just essentially say, hey, this is your work site. You can unionize these people. These people are yours. We're voluntary letting you have this site. And so that... Management essentially like lays over dead 
Yeah, and says, here, here you go. Here's the site. Yeah. This is the contract we want. And then they say, okay. And then that's that's how that goes. And, and so to get back to Maple Leaf for a second. So mm. this is a big plan. This is a yeah. chickens are coming in on yeah. giant ass trucks every day. Yeah. Um, slaughtered and processed into various chicken products. Yeah. We're talking about four or 500 people. Yes. We're talking like a mostly like immigrant. Yes. We're trying to like, yes, yes. People First, second workforce. generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, primarily. Yeah. Right now there's around 500 of these workers at this chicken processing plant represented yeah. by CLAC, but UFCW yeah. is trying to raid them. UFCW is trying to organize them for themselves. Right? right. And what does that mean? How does that even work? So is there like... Is there a, from what I understand, our previous conversations, there's like a period of time where mm -hmm. you can kind of approach workers, get mm -hmm. them to sign a card. Can you kind of walk me through that? Mm -hmm. So there's something called the open period. Um, it's a space and time essentially where the contract, the contract that they have in place has expired. Um, and it's the space where um, essentially anybody could come in and organize. Any old person Any could old come dude. just re 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 quick tip tap tip tap over and uh organize during that period it's a very i think this time this period was like three weeks it was very some <laughs> short period of time where we had to get, get our tucks in a row but it's very hard to do it takes a lot of people because it's a lot of people but it's a, and it, because it's a, such a short period of time it's called an open period and um really we don't raid you know really um but Nobody really considers it rating when it's clock. Um, yes, no other union considers it rating when it's clock. So yes. please go raid clock. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, a, they're any not open really. period, just go for it. If it's in your, if it's in your wheelhouse, like if it's in your unions, this is for mostly people who are in labor, obviously. But if it's in your wheelhouse, just let track their open period. Go in and go after every anytime you can. And so that's what you guys did at, that's what UFCW 401 did at this plant. Yes, but that was mostly because we had calls and we had people who were over there that we knew who were like, you guys need to come here. And, um, and what, were their, what were their issues? Why were they calling you? Well, primarily benefits, um, you know, and, um, and dignity and respect issues. Um, we're talking about a plant. There's a lot of people all working together and at the same time, essentially. There's, there's staggered shifts, but um, when breaks are, they're breaks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, there's the bathroom break issue, uh, which was a really high, um, really a, a source of contention there um, because it's in, unsanitary. It's, a, it's an issue that we have uh, run into in the past. It's an issue that happens at most meat processing plants, um, or at least most that I or some that I've heard of. So these people aren't getting bathroom breaks. People are not getting enough bathroom breaks, or having their bathroom breaks limited, or um, essentially, you know, you get this many, and you have to sign out every time you go to the bathroom, and you have to sign back in when you come to the bathroom. And then and, these people are shitting and pissing themselves. Well, that's what happened in our in the Brooks plant before we unionized it and that was one of the main issues is that people were soiling themselves on the on the plant floor um obviously a health and safety issue obviously not great for the food that you're you're putting out um but also we're talking about like almost 500 people if everybody go to the bathroom at the exact same time not everybody gets to go to the bathroom so um besides 
you know, benefits obviously is a huge thing for issue, for people and usually don't really get great ones unless you bargain them. So that's obviously an issue, especially when you have a family and primarily people who work there all have families. So, and they've worked there for years, years and years. So, um, yeah, it's a place with not a lot of high turnover meat plants. Usually people stay there for a long period of time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we have a lot of language regarding that and how it's um, inhumane. Um, and, you know, right now these Maple Leaf employees have two sick days a year, which I don't know about you, but like don't want sick people making my chicken that also goes to KFC that also could go to like essentially anywhere because mm -hmm. it's Maple Leaf, right? So it's, huge, right? it's yeah. a huge company. So um, it's, it's gross. It's gross in like a physically gross way but it's also gross in a in a moral way moral and ethical way um, right yes and um it's so shitty that clack will not grieve this issue mm. there is no way to grieve this issue they will not they will not go to arbitration they will not fight it i've never heard of them filing a grievance at this plant I've heard of the stewards, the shop stewards there being asked to do the initial investigation. The shop steward goes in, has a meeting with manager, closed door, and comes out with basically what the manager said. Um, if you are paying dues and you're not getting representation, what is the fucking point? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and this is a, I mean, the fact that it's a maple leaf um, meat processing plant, there's a bit of history there with UFCW 401 as well. You were talking about the Brooks plants. These were these huge federally certified beef slaughterhouses and pork slaughterhouses in Brooks, Alberta, right? Mm -hmm. And there were these <clears throat> big union drives in the 80s and 90s to get these things um, unionized up, and it became extremely contentious. And it's actually one of the, like, most cool bits of labor history in, like, Alberta recent memory. So if you are, you know, on the Internet Googling around, I would I would recommend you look that up. I think there's a movie about it, um, a documentary. I can't remember the name of it. But if you look it up, but it's, it's, it is very interesting, um, all the sort of stuff it, it stirred up for the province, not only that work site. Um, and, you know, same circumstances. We're different part of the world, primarily us. Uh, East African um, yeah, employees and yeah for that time period so we're talking about first second generation again um, I think Maple Leaf plant it's more like second first second third but yeah and, and Clack isn't operating on its own too like one thing I, I think is worth mentioning is that is Clack operates in the context of a of a pretty huge like anti-union industry right estimated it to be around billions of dollars a year spent on keeping unions out of workplaces you know we're talking about um so clack is the like union quote unquote union that is um a part of this ecosystem but you've got groups like merit contractors which is essentially the like construction association of what they call open shop workers you've got the progressive contractors which uh, can very similar you've got the organization called labor watch um which does a lot of like anti-union propaganda stuff you know you've got fields literal fields of lawyers who work on the employer side of yeah. labor law uh, mclennan ross being yeah. an especially popular one and who has an especially robust anti-union yeah. uh, kind of practice yeah uh, funnily enough a bunch of 
McClendon Ross uh, employees just got appointed to um, I heard congratulations of, <laughs> various university and post-secondary boards yeah, yeah really uh, yeah congratulations what a great environment for them to be in yeah um, yeah I <laughs> I was in a hearing like two weeks ago where I made a really great joke that uh that I was drinking tap water and the manager employer thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, there there is so much money behind um, anti-union everything. Um, yeah, if you guys wanted to get into that, you guys should, you would get so many grants. Um, but... This is well. This is part of our plan, right? <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna become rebel media people. We're gonna become anti-union people, and we're gonna cash in. Yeah, is, we're just playing the long game here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I think the broader question of like the anti-union industrial complex is like something I think we definitely should dive into in a labor later episode. Mm. But we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. I think. Yeah. What I am interested in, in, and what I think people need to know, is like, what are your advice for normies who mm-hmm. want to support working people, who want to support mm-hmm. organized labor? What's some kind of quick and dirty things and, and advice you would give out? Um, shop union. I know that sounds really like lame and cliche, but shop union. So what There's is, so what is uh, specifically? Um, yeah. So if you're like, if you're talking about groceries, go to superstore. Go to Safeway. Don't go to Sobeys. Don't go to No Frills. Oh, yeah, we didn't. We didn't even talk about Save On. So Save On is don't wild. go to Save On. Save On is wall to wall clack. Billionaire Jim Pattison voluntarily certified the mm-hmm. entire every Save On that exists in Canada. In and no, clack. well, in Alberta specifically because oh, we have we have some in BC, and I think that might oh, be why right. uh, they gave it to Clack uh, so that UFCW couldn't organize them. Um, and. Don't worry, we tried four years ago during their open period too. So, um, and I think that was one of my, five years ago, that was one of my first campaigns ever was a rating o'clock. Um, my shop union, um, do not ever cross a picket line. Do not be a scab. If you are, you know, you see a picket line and, and you, don't, you don't have any sort of affiliation, be the most aggressive person there. Well, you have show no, up first. You have no skin in the game. Just do it. Fight a cop, stand in <laughs> stand in the street, and punch a cop in the face. Right. Uh, parody, parody, satire. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly satire. But but yeah, don't bring. I mean, go to it. If you haven't been to a picket line, go to a picket line. Talk to the people who are on the picket line. Take some goddamn coffee. To bring them line. coffee. Bring them food, but also bring them coffee and um, just be nice because some strikes can feel like forever and so bring some like levity and excitement and yell at a cop mm-hmm. and yeah strikes are important because strikes work and strikes only work if they can demonstrate to the employer that yeah and one is on their side and clack boasts about how few strikes they've had and honestly i've never heard of a clack strike in my entire life i we I, tried to research and look for one we could not find one i don't i think they have existed at some point in their history but I don't believe there's ever been one in Alberta. So mm-hmm. there you go. 
Um, Seb, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat thank with us. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. This has been a really awesome and fun conversation. Um, if there is a way for people to follow you online, mm. you're not really online, but if you if you want people hey, to follow you. I'm <laughs> online. How do you, how should, how should I do have it? Twitter. It's at Saba UFCW 401 and I'm on Facebook, but what is it? Saba Saba. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and if you want to organize your workplace and you live in Alberta, or if you just need some advice, holler at your girl. All right. You heard it here. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much to Saba and Bruce for chatting with us. As someone who started out as a bit of a labor noob and outsider, I really would have appreciated something like this when I was getting started in activism land. So I hope this is useful content for you folks. Our Sunday this week is some good news. Lethbridge City Council has defeated a motion to defund the supervised consumption site in that city. This was after a very divisive debate led by a conservative city councillor against the supervised consumption site in town. This would have been the first real rollback of existing harm reduction services if it had gone through. However, uh, in that vein, the UCP have just announced a new panel, and it doesn't look great. So we'll have more on this issue next week. Our next episode is on these supervised consumption sites and the politics around them. And that's it for this episode this week. Uh, If you like the show, please take a minute to leave a review. I don't want to get too alarmist, but we are at four and a half stars on Apple Podcasts right now, and that is not good, people. We need at least a dozen nice reviews right now to get that number closer to five. And if you like this show, don't just leave a review. Tell your friends about it. The larger the audience this show has, the bigger the impact it has on the world, and that's what we're here for at the end of the day. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, or comments you think I need to hear, I'm on Twitter at at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. I can't always respond, but I will definitely read what you send me. And thanks so much to Cosmic Famu Communist for our amazing theme. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.